Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. Uh, this is Professor Mike Lewis, and I am joined by Doug Battle. We are brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. And in this second week of September, just as a starting point, Doug, let me tell you, and I know this gets old because I keep talking that I think we've got sort of the perfect sports marketing event multiple times. Usually they involve Jake Paul but or Logan Paul and, and, mm-hmm. and Lo- Floyd Mayweather. But this last weekend, and then we'll, we'll get to serious stuff, but you know what? I'm actually of two minds. I tend to think some of these things that are about spectacle and about politics are really the big story. They sort of seem silly in the near term, but they may be the most impactful long term. But this weekend, we had Evander Holyfield um, fighting an MMA athlete named Belfort and actually losing. Are, are, Mm -hmm. Are you aware of this event? Are you aware of who provided a little bit of added commentary? I, I'm aware of it simply because of who provided the commentary. Um, and this is a figure whose every move is covered, and that is former President Donald Trump, or current president, depending <laughs> on who you ask. But we don't have to get into that. Um, yes, I did see that he commentated. I think one of my favorite things about these kind of fake fights is the commentary, usually being Snoop Dogg. Um, I want to see, there's this guy, Bob Minery. He does uh, like basically satire calling where he he takes clips of old sporting events and he recalls them but like in a very funny and and completely inappropriate way i would love to see them get him on board for one of these but yes donald trump is probably um if you're trying to create some controversy or draw some eyeballs to the screen that was probably a good move okay and so this is just one of the aspects And, and so like i said i think this is the perfect sports entertainment story for 2021 now you said first off you said these fake fights Okay, these fights all do seem to be fake, except Holyfield lost via TKO. This is the first one where I think we've seen a legit loss in terms of yeah. a referee stoppage that they haven't all had sort of the uh, the appearance of an exhibition and the guys not actually trying to stop each other. Uh, Belfort really kind of clocked Holyfield and then the referee stopped stopped the action. So 
this may have been a real fight featuring a 50 plus year old boxer in Evander Holyfield, which seems like a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, I'm seeing Belfort was 44. Let's see how old um, Evander is. Well, while you, while you look that up, some other elements that he's 58, 58. he's 58, okay. so nearly 60. Yeah. So a 58 year old man concussed in front of everybody. Right. Now, in addition to that, the other element of this was Holyfield was a late addition to this card. He was a substitution. Mm-hmm. The original fight was supposed to be between Oscar De La Hoya and Belfort. Mm-hmm. So do you know why De La Hoya dropped out, by the way, Doug? I, I'm not aware. Oh, he, COVID. 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 That's what, I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. COVID. And as an added bonus, De La Hoya is fully vaccinated. Yikes. Um, well, at least that means hopefully he's okay. <laughs> um, but again, depending on who you ask, he he ended he actually ended up looking you know in the hospital looking kind of rough in the lead up to the fight. So he was it wasn't just COVID; it was a hospitalization of a vaxxed athlete. Go you know it, so it's like I said, it's it's perfect. Yeah. Um. So had Holyfield been training? I mean, he looked pretty. Uh, I mean, he always looks good. I remember his kid played football at Georgia, and he would be at all the games, and he looked like everybody would say, you know, he could still beat up all these guys, which clearly that might not be the case. Oh. But um, he's always looked like he's in shape. I've seen him. I've seen him at. Uh, I saw. I saw him a few years ago at a boxing match in a, in a hotel ballroom in Atlanta. And you're right. He's got a. I mean, there's a few years ago, but a physical stature that is still. It, impressive let's just say yeah um yeah okay (laughs) so like i said we've got donald trump we've got a crowd chanting we love trump we've got a fully vaccinated athlete dropping out for covid we've got a late edition of holyfield jumping in the only other part of this story that makes it even better is if you think about what's happening here from a bigger bigger picture perspective Last year, we had the Mike Tyson Legends Only League, where he fought Roy, right. jo- Roy Jones Jr. That wh- rather than have, let's say, all of these novelty fights or throwback fights occur under the brand name, as boxing tends to do, we now have different promotions all putting these novelty fights together to further mm-hmm. add to the, to the chaos and so I, I don't know where the, like I said, I don't know where legit boxing goes from here. If your biggest stars are Tyson, Holyfield, a couple of kids with the last name of it's Paul. It's legends. Yeah. Legends and influence. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I would have to imagine whoever the top five boxers in the world are right now. I mean, the legitimate top five boxers. It's got to be frustrating <laughs> to oh. see your sport turn to this and to see uh, um, all the attention and, and brand building go toward people who are not as good at you at what you do, people who are not as excellent at their craft as you are. Um, that's got to be frustrating. And I think that, that presents an enormous challenge yeah. for professional boxers to build these brands and build these legends where they can have and, and be viewed like Evander Holyfield. Um, even if they're better than Evander Holyfield is right now, they're they're drawing less eyeballs. I would assume. I, I think I think that's dead on. I mean, I, I'm guessing the top grossing, the top market potential boxer is Canelo Alvarez, but I right. doubt that he's. You know, he, he's probably just the top guy is probably just competitive with these novelty acts, and I, 
you know, what, what you were talking about made me think of something that in, in some ways, this is almost the equivalent of, let's say, you know, rather than people tuning in to watch the NBA finals, they're actually yep. tuning in to watch, you know, Michael Jordan and the celebrity all-stars, uh, you know, f- going back to, you know, the 1990s playing exhibition games against each other. I'm picturing like Larry Bird against Justin Bieber. Exactly. You know, just just bizarre. Um, and imagine that raking in more money or drawing more viewers or, or mm-hmm. garnering more attention than the NBA Finals uh, and, and the stars of the NBA being completely forgotten on, <laughs> in the minds of, of the general public. And this is why I, I don't know what it means, but I think this... I think this movement means something. It means something for how sports is going to evolve because it's not it's not acting the way it used to be. I mean, we've always had these kind of novelty events, exhibition events, but it's never been such a mainstay. And look, maybe in this world of influencer marketing and social media where arguably the kid named Paul is a bigger draw than Mayweather because he has I think when they did that fight, they actually listed social media followers in the tail of the tape. So it's it might be part of our new reality. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you one thing real quick. Uh, what's going to draw just insane attention, and I hope this day comes. This is the one part of this that I actually would enjoy. Is if you know rappers get in beefs with each other and they have little rap battles and back and forth where um, they're talking smack about each other. How about you just put them in the ring? I mean, how about a Drake versus Pusha T boxing match on national TV? People would be, I mean, on on social media and stuff, those mm-hmm. those beefs d- draw quite a bit of attention as it is. Drake versus Kanye West in the ring, fight till someone gets knocked out. It would be must watch TV as much as it probably want to be very well, good fight. You know, if we were going to really dig into this, there, there's a certain logic to it, right? It's, um, I think that people, one of the beautiful things about social media or tragedies of it is that people are living their lives. Celebrities are sharing their lives with their, their followers. And so this idea, are you going to care about a beef between you said Drake and someone in a name I'd never heard. Drake and Kanye, Kanye West. The one you hadn't heard was uh, Pusha T and Drake. Yeah. And it it truly doesn't matter. Right. But, (laughs) but yeah, when these people in the the rap, the hip hop guys are probably different, but the social media people, they're sharing their lives. Their fans feel like they know them. They're they're really legitimate relationships. They're one sided, but when you've got this depth of relationship and kind of passion for a celebrity, and they're going to throw down against another celebrity that you may also be following closely. It's a very different kind of marketing appeal than a couple of world class boxers that you only encounter in the media limelight once every six months or, or once a year. I don't know which is more powerful. So I think that it, this still maintains as something we just got to keep our eye on. Yeah. And I would fully expect the mainstream boxers to start, uh, or at least their teams to, to, pr- to push for them to kind of live like influencers to try <laughs> to create these relationships and, and build a connection with fans in order to, to draw eyeballs. It probably has to go in the way of the UFC. You know, th- this kind of notion of boxing being these kind of independent shops is, has probably got to fade. You know, because the nice thing about the UFC is you can build the marketing program over the course of years. You can introduce people to, to athletes. You can keep them hyped up. 
but uh, otherwise, I don't, I don't have a good feeling about the uh, about the fading sport of boxing. Okay, Doug, I'm going to tell you something else that this is the second week of September, and so to me, it feels like this is prime time American sports, uh, in particular mm-hmm. with NFL Week One in the book, just about in the books. I feel like we're full college football a couple of weeks in the NFL. Seems like it's prime. Yeah. Seems like it's prime time. Who might it's prime time. be the best up and coming coach in college football? <laughs> yeah, Deion Sanders uh, always stirring the pot, but it is prime time. And you saying that made me think, uh, what happened to baseball? <laughs> Like nobody's talking about baseball. You turn on ESPN, it's college football, NFL, uh, Evander Holyfield. I shouldn't laugh, but my initial reaction was, yeah, baseball has been blown off the, been blown off the page, been blown off the front page of the web. But I mean, baseball's been, should have been the sport for the last several months. And it feels like I've hardly heard a peep from, uh, non diehard fans about the sport. And it's almost, it's almost relegated to the level of like hockey as far as the fandom or as far as the coverage of it and, and it being a dominant story storyline. Maybe that's just me. I know I'm biased to football and I know I tend to, uh, to drift toward the, the football talking heads or whatnot, but I just haven't heard a lot of buzz about baseball. It's been all about football and I'm quite excited about football. I got that fantasy win. My college team's two and Oh, my NFL team's Oh and one, but you know, maybe we're starting to look like we could get a good draft pick next year. Um, as is the case when it doesn't look like it's your year, but, uh, baseball is, is just been the forgotten sport in 2021. In my opinion, well, let me offer a, offer a theory about baseball and it's consistent with at least what I want to cover today. Um, simply to, you know, because in some ways, Talking about the NFL is tough and adding college to because there's, there's just so much going on. So it's hard to cover everything in an, in an hour-long podcast. But to me, the, the problem that the, the baseball tends to have is you know, it, it's this lack of focal points. And by focal points, I mean, I mean stars. So yeah. the way I get my head around the NFL and think about the NFL, and this is – it's actually different. The way I get my head around college is I think about coaches. The way I get my head around uh, professional football is to think about quarterbacks. I don't know that there's anything like that in baseball. There's nothing. There's nothing to sort of grab, hold on, and compartmentalize. And pitchers. I think it's been uh, growing up for me. It was the big home run, the big sluggers. Yeah. It was Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, uh, Barry Bonds, those guys. But unfortunately. That lost its luster a bit when <laughs> when you found out nine tenths of them were cheating. Fair, very fair. Okay, so Doug, so the the NFL season going into Week One, as like I said, and like we've talked about a lot, I feel like almost every big story is essentially a quarterback story in this league. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, maybe the big game last yesterday was the matchup between. Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield. Did you check out any of that? Well, Patrick Mahomes is my starting quarterback in fantasy football, so I did have to keep an eye on his performance. I did. See- okay, and, and I don't want to interrupt you, and I'll let you continue. One of the reasons why people care about football more than baseball, fantasy sports. Well, they have fan. I know guys right? that play fantasy baseball. It's just less prevalent. Okay. Less prevalent. But it's not. It's not as easy to. 
school. It's not as easy to sort of grab onto. Yep. You know, it's not like well, they don't destination all... TV on Sunday where yeah. everyone in the family is playing. Well, it's because they don't all play on the same day. Yeah. And they don't see so your it's it's a little bit tricky with baseball, same as basketball, but yeah, fantasy football is definitely it probably has more fans than any uh any NFL team alone. So but yeah, Patrick Mahomes was the reason I kept an eye on that one. And he's always fun to watch, you know. Um Nick Chubb on the other side as a Georgia grad. I love watching him play. It was good seeing him have two TDs. But yeah, that one came down to to Baker Mayfield uh, uh kind of blowing it at the end of the game with that interception. And uh, you know, the narrative I guess continues to be can the Browns become great with what they have because they have a lot of weapons uh baker mayfield's a former number one pick but can he get over that hump and become a top five nfl quarterback uh because those are the guys you look yesterday patrick mahomes tom brady marching his team down the field at the end as we've seen a million times to win it seems like those top five quarterbacks are the ones that always come out on top at the end of the day particularly in the playoffs well mahomes uh, a 131 QB rate, rating, yeah. passer rating, um, 337 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. And I agree with your choice of word, the, the idea narrative. When you watch the coverage of these games and you watch the games live, you watch the highlights, there's a definite narrative of, you know, Patrick Mahomes is Superman. Mm-hmm. And even though the Browns were winning that game most of the time, it almost feels inevitable in a way, doesn't it? It does. That Baker, and look, Baker's narrative is this former number one pick that's always like striving to get to that level. But I don't know that he, he look, he does a lot of good ad work. I, I see <laughs> Baker Mayfield Hulu ads all the time. Yeah. But it doesn't feel to me that he's, he's going to get to that uh, Patrick Mahomes level anytime soon. Well, I think part of it is just playing for the Browns. I mean, that is. <laughs> That is almost the insurmountable obstacle. Um, and so the fight to overcome, just just purely from a branding perspective, playing for the Browns, you know, the thinking is you're just going to lose. You're just going to come up short no matter how good you are, particularly at the quarterback position with their recent history at quarterback. And so um, I think the Browns have a really good team as far as their players. And I think the Chiefs are arguably the best team in the NFL. So week one might have been, you know, who knows? That could have been number one versus number two in the whole league for all we know. So I think the Browns have a chance. But like you said, the narrative is going to be, yep, the Browns are just the Browns. They can't do it. And Patrick Mahomes is amazing. And the Chiefs are number one. Yeah, I think most people, and again, this this is just gut feel, right? Feels like the Chiefs are going to go 14 and three, something like that. Yeah. And, and that the Browns could go anywhere from fourteen and three to three and fourteen, you know, and and I don't. That's totally unfair, but it's like it's this legacy of of Cleveland, and you do wonder how much of this kind of gets in the players' heads, where this like inevitability that it's not going to work, and then it and then it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, we we'll see with them, um, but I think the rookie quarterbacks are like a huge story this year. Everyone's mm-hmm. curious to see how yeah. Trevor Lawrence performs, how Zach Wilson performs. Justin Fields uh, is a guy that I think Bears fans are just clamoring for him to be the starter. And when- well, we got we got five of those. Which one do you want? Let's 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 go through all of them. Let's talk about what happened to each and every one of them. We got five, <laughs> or maybe we got four, or actually we kind of have three. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, of course, Trevor Lawrence has been pegged as the next Peyton Manning since he was in eighth grade, just about. He's he's probably the most hyped up athlete since LeBron James coming into a rookie season. And I don't think anyone expects him to take the Jaguars anywhere this year. So that that's where it's a little bit different um, than like a LeBron James. In football, there's 22 players on the field and the quarterback's got to have a lot around him to have success. So um, from what I saw early on, some success. He's just a gunslinger. Some success and some turnovers. Kind of what I would expect from Trevor Lawrence in, in his first NFL game. Well, three uh, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Definitely consistent with uh, through for three hundred plus yards. So definitely consistent with this yeah. gunslinger idea. Um, one of the lowest passer ratings mm-hmm. in in week one at uh, seventy point one. So doesn't surprise def- me. Definitely, uh, definitely a struggle on the plus side. Well, I mean, on the plus side, he threw for the most yards of any of the rookies. Mm-hmm. I think the I think the big winner amongst the rookies, though, has got to be Mister. Well, <laughs> there, there's just a string of Alabama quarterbacks now, Doug. So yeah. just the latest Alabama quarterback of Mac Jones going out there and played basic. Very solid football, threw for 280, one touchdown, zero interceptions. Uh, very decent passer rating. The Patriots came up short. But it sounds like he really satisfied the audience in terms of, I didn't hear any regret in terms of letting Cam Newton go. So it seems like he's yeah performed, uh, performed pretty well. Uh, Zach Wilson, again, s- some struggles, some mixed results. Um, so no 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 real breakthrough performances, but decent performances. Yeah, it's interesting to me that um, outside of the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence, these other rookie quarterbacks, I guess it's really just Zach Wilson and, and Mac Jones. They both, uh, I think their fan bases were pleased with the performance in the game overall, and they both teams lost. Like I, I think it's funny that, or not funny, it's just interesting to me that you can pull for a team and, and it's a league where your team can lose, but the quarterback position is so important that if you're pleased with the quarterback play, you feel good about the loss because you feel like, okay, we've got something here. We've got something we can build on. Um, and probably more so than I think Patriots fans with Mac Jones having performed well and, and still taking the loss, I think they would much rather have that than have Cam Newton, a quarterback, win the game and feel like they have no future at the quarterback position. And so that that's how important quarterback is in today's NFL. And I, I think the fact that the it's all positive storylines about the Patriots and Mac Jones. Um, I've seen a lot of positive about Zach Wilson with the Jets. Uh, even Justin Fields and the Bears, even though he got limited playing time, um, there's this optimism and hope around these losing week one quarterbacks more so than I think if the, those teams had had journeyman quarterbacks win them a, a, a football game. Well, let's talk about Justin Fields because he is in the, the press coverage of Justin Fields. I don't quite even know how to describe it, but he's Justin a, he's Fields, a controversy magnet. Yes. Right. But he also tends to, so he's in the middle of controversy but it's a funny kind of media controversy because it seems like everyone in the media is always on his side. Yeah, that is true. Right? That is true. Yeah. It, everyone on the media is 
saying that he should be the Bears starter. Everyone in the media was basically cheering him, cheering him on last year when he was trying to force the Big Ten to to play college football. Which so is the same he, the same media that thought college football was irresponsible in having crowds and having young men go out there and, and play with each other. That was irresponsible, but Justin Fields was a hero um, yes. for trying to make it happen. And so, yeah, it, it's no matter what he does, it does seem like the media is behind him. Um, and, I mean, going back to Georgia, it always felt like, I mean, the fans certainly, a lot of fans wanted to see him become QB1, but certainly felt like the media followed that, and they've kind of hammered on that ever since ever since he left, that, you know, Georgia made a mistake, um, which I think is probably objectively true, although I know people who argue with that, but uh, he's yeah, kind Doug, of been a media darling. I don't follow it as closely as you do, obviously. But what the Bears did with him <laughs> reminded me a lot of what Georgia did with him. That's what I kept hearing. <laughs> where he was suddenly Justin Fields out there for a play, and then he's gone again. Yeah, it's poor handling of Justin Fields, and it drove me insane as, a, as someone who, who went to the University of Georgia when Georgia did that. And so I know that Bears fans, the Bears, first off, have, have mishandled quarterbacks both in their selection of quarterbacks and who they've had but also how they've used them um, and so seeing them go out and say what should we do should we do what Ohio State did with him where he was a Heisman candidate or should we did, do what Georgia did with them where he looked like a deer in headlights uh, and, and going with the Georgia formula I, I don't know I, I, I think Justin Fields is a lot more capable I saw I don't remember who tweeted this yesterday but they were saying Justin Fields is not a project at quarterback He's not just this one-dimensional running quarterback. This kid is league-ready. He's got an arm. He's got a brain. <laughs> he's, his decision-making, his accuracy, everything is there. And so, he, for some reason, coaching staffs feel the need. And maybe there's something we don't know. This is where you know fans, what appears to the fans and, and what the coaches know could be two different things. But it seems as though he's, he's doubted by his own coaching staff over and over again. And it seems like if he's let loose, that's when he's truly great. Doug, Doug, it's more than that, right? And, and like I said, in some ways, he is becoming my most, <laughs> the most fascinating quarterback story to watch this year. Because yeah. it's it's not even his own coaching staff. If you remember last last spring, mm -hmm. his initial draft position was something like, "Oh, Trevor's going number one, and Fields is going number two, or maybe Fields is going number three. Maybe Fields is going number five, right? And I thought I thought for a time that he was going to jump Lawrence too. So I mean, he okay. there was there was a case for him to be one at one point. And so there, there's almost something about all coaches, coaching staffs that the evaluation just ends up being look. And it's a funny one, right? Because in a lot of ways, if if coaches are rating a guy down here, and the media is rating a guy up here, I think you really want to go with the coaches. But right. this story seems very, this story seems strange. because, And even what the Bears are doing, where the guy that he's sitting behind is not exactly Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, it's, it's Andy Dalton. Yeah. Right? It's old Andy Dalton. He's been in the league for a while. And, you know, look, I grew up in Chicago, so I know a lot of Bears fans. And Bears fans are not excited about the prospects of Andy Dalton. No, I'm they sure they're unsure they about Justin Fields. Probably booed him when he was an out starter. I'm not that's just purely based on how fans behave and not any evidence at all. But I would assume there was some of that going on. 
Well, Andy Dalton is your quarterback tells you that you're going to go that your max eight and eight at best when you're nine, seven, eight, eight. That's your best bet. Yeah. Uh, Justin Fields, at least, at least there's hope, man. Justin Fields, you might win three games. You also might win 14 games. (laughs) So it's just, I think fans prefer that. Okay. Last, last one on my list. And we can talk about some of the other guys that sort of popped up for you. Aaron Rodgers with the lowest passer rating in the league after week one. Yeah. Any thoughts? Um, my first thought, and this was widespread on Twitter. I love Twitter during sports because you get to see everyone's thoughts. And uh, the, the rampant rumor was that he is intentionally tanking the, the Green Bay Packers season <laughs> because he's ticked off at their ownership and management. I don't think that's true. I think he's a competitor. I think he wants to play well. Um, you know, I might trade for him in fantasy because uh, his value is probably as low as it'll ever be. It's hard to imagine him continuing to play at this rate. There's kind of a regression in the mean that happens where I tend to go after guys that have a bad week one or week two while the people are still doubting them. And I would expect him to come back to form. But nevertheless, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I think there probably is some discussion of, is he just... Like, is he finally over the hump? You know, is he finally, he's 37 years old. He was MVP yeah. at 36. That felt like about as old as you can be and be an MVP. But then we've got Tom Brady, who's 44. That's seven years. So it's like, does Aaron Rodgers have another seven years? Or is he, is he, was last year his last year of his prime? I think there's probably some doubt right now after his week one performance. And uh, we'll have to see. I still don't expect him in Green Bay beyond this year one way or another. No, I think that that's true. It, you know, I got to think Brady has warped the perception of quarterbacks in terms of age going forward, at least for a while, right? It's because you're right. At some point, you know, at some point you take too many hits and it just, and look, I, I tend to think the mental part of the game is enormous. Maybe this last off season kind of broke Roger's spirit in a way. I mean, not broke his spirit in terms of like, he doesn't, Broke his spirit in terms of not caring quite enough. Like, like the edge is gone, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill myself for these guys because yeah. these guys had no loyalty to yeah. me. Yeah, add that to, you know, maybe difference in conditioning and not being Tom Brady, and who knows? Yeah, you know, the the fall can come suddenly. It's also it's amazing to me with Brady what you're saying with him kind of changing the narrative on quarterbacks and how long they can play the expectation for Aaron Rodgers to play when he, at a high level when he's 44 is probably insane, particularly um, given that he is a, his athleticism is such a huge part of his game, his mobility in the pocket and throwing on the run and, and even occasionally running the football um, are all things that Tom Brady's not really known for. He, Brady's always been a little bit of a statue, and so his game translates well regardless of his age, regardless of his injuries. He's had ACL. I mean, he's he's overcome a lot um, but he his body doesn't require that much for him to perform at a high level I look across the league I mean you go five five years younger five quarterback classes um, after Brady was drafted Eli Manning retired Philip Rivers retired Ben Roethlisberger 39 with a victory in week one yeah victory in week one but he's 39 years old and I don't think anyone's expecting him to be performing at a high level in five years and that's a guy that's won two Super Bowls but nevertheless, Brady's 
agelessness has kind of created this question with quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, where typically it probably wouldn't be a bad move to let a guy like that go. But then you're like, well, what if he has seven more years of prime? Because Brady did. I mean, when the Pats gave up Brady, I think a lot of people thought that was probably a good move. You know, he's probably it's probably time to move on, and Brady goes and wins the Super Bowl. Well, you know, Doug, whenever we're talking draft, you know, we'll talk some about analytics, but we'll also use the phrase or the term comparables, mm-hmm. right? Tom, let's go on record here from the the sports analytics side of this podcast. Tom Brady should never be used as a comparable <laughs> for anyone. <laughs> In the NFL. Well, hey, you know we heard it uh, for the draft with um, with our guy Mac Jones. The physique comparison. Yeah. Well, he he was compared all around his championship uh, yeah. pedigree, his his confidence, his demeanor, his everything about him. Mostly because he played on championship teams at Alabama, but nevertheless, that was a guy that that was compared often to Tom Brady, and then he's drafted by. The Patriots, so now he's he's that expectation is is there even more so. Yeah, I just tend to think that infamous picture of Tom Brady with his shirt off after his draft, and then the the picture of Mac Jones with, with his the shirt off, cigar <laughs> the cigar in the locker room is what solidified that that connection. Yeah, unathletic looking white guy that wins championships. He's probably going to be the greatest of all time. Not even athletic. It was it was beyond unathletic, right? It was like doesn't care enough to get in shape, <laughs> which is interesting now because Tom Brady is in phenomenal shape if you look at him. Yeah, and and even if you see him in a subway ad, he looks young. He right? also like he's looks some sort of. It's weird, but he looks physically better than he looked when he was winning Super Bowls with the Patriots early in his career. Like his his body and his. Even just like his face and his skin, like the guy looks like he's he somehow went from being like twenty five to like forty back to like thirty. <laughs> he looks like a thirty no. year old out there, and he plays like one too. And it, I don't know what fountain of youth he's drinking from, but I know Tom Brady is uh is kind of infamous for his rituals and uh, the things that he does for his diet and his exercise and and how meticulous he is about such things but something is working he figured something out and there's some scientist he's working with to figure out how to maintain his youth forever Uh, and it's it's paying dividends for the tampa bay buccaneers and tom brady well doug that that just raises a question that almost makes me think there's probably two things going on so number one there is some sort of training regime that, Mm -hmm. that that is legitimately supplying the fountain of youth but then some of your other comments, has he just discovered the med spa <laughs> and he knows all about he's the tan Botox now. He's tan now. Yeah. And, you know, and all the right kind of supplements that, you know, it's, it's almost like, is he working it on both sides? The appear, the aesthetic side and the physical side. I think it's, just. And, I think he's sleeping well, eating well, training well, taking care of his body. And he's out in the sun a lot. So he's tan and he looks, you know, young and, and, Doug, here's a hypothesis. The youth is actually screwing up his competitors. <laughs> Guys like Roethlisberger are looking at Brady, kind of, and their, their, their confidence is shaken because this guy that's five years older than them looks five years younger. 
Yeah, that's a hot take right there. I don't know how much Ben Roethlisberger's performance is affected by Tom Brady's looks. Um, I was just going for the two oldest guys. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, it's. I mean, you look at Ben Roethlisberger, he looks like he's 30 years older than Tom Brady, absolutely. Okay, Doug, so that that's th- those were the names that popped up for me. Wh- what else? Anything else or what else sort of caught your eye this week in, uh, this week in sports? I mean, college football is a beautiful thing to me, and and it's been fun to see even this last week some upsets. I think my favorite. Okay, can I can I comment on that? I, I know Illinois college football lost. is a painful thing for me, so it's it, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. I know um, Illinois lost. I'm sorry, Mike, but I, I I really enjoyed seeing Jacksonville State pull off the upset against Florida yeah. State, and I don't know if you saw this, but Florida State had a player propose after the game so jacksonville state is still celebrating on the field and a florida state player gets down on one knee and proposes to his girlfriend um i guess he had planned it and and thought this would be a surefire win and didn't want to backpedal on his plans just went through with it but that was that was a bad look yeah i mean that that hurts right you lose to and look doug let me ask you this where does florida state losing to jacksonville where does that fall in terms of the historical upsets in college football? Probably not like Michigan App State high because Jacksonville State and Florida State both are not expected to win a championship this year. Florida State's not very good. Um, I'll say this, though. I mean, I didn't know they were that bad. Like Florida State went toe-to-toe with Notre Dame in week one. And Notre Dame, for all I knew, was could be a playoff team, you know. And so week two comes around, and Notre Dame's hanging on against Toledo by three points, and Florida State loses to Jacksonville State, and you start to realize, oh man, these teams that that were prime time television week one, and their fan bases were thinking they were competing for you know to to be a real contender, um, they might not be very good. They might not win six games. Well, what do you, if I recall correctly, Notre Dame was borderline top 10 preseason? Yeah. Um, and I think they've, I think they were top 10 this last week going into their. Was, was Florida State ranked in the top no, 20? I don't think so. No. They've had a so rough just, couple of years. They've had a rough couple yeah, of years. You know, in, in a lot of ways, the, the, the state of Florida has had a rough couple of years in terms of not having a lot of power come out of that state anywhere. Yeah, it's it's like the state is a sleeping giant. I know Florida, the Florida Gators made the SEC championship last year, so that you know that felt like a good year for them. But um, as far as I mean, that, has Florida ever had a playoff team? Miami, Florida, UCF, um, USF, Florida State. I, none of those teams. I, I could, Florida State. Well, no, they were they were Florida before State's the playoff. They were before the playoff. Okay. Um, with Jameis Winston, that was just BCS. So yeah, that that whole state has never had. A national champion um, in, well, in the college football playoff era. Well, look, this is interesting to me, and this is almost a this is like one of these. This is not a great conversation in terms of what I'm saying in terms of analytics. This is more sort of reverting just to basic fandom. And right. So, my perception of the state of Florida is that there was always, and that look, this is just a little kind of basic storytelling and anecdotes but when i went down and became a faculty at the university of florida it was an interesting time in that state because in any given year florida state 
Florida, UF, or Miami were going to be top five teams. Yeah. And it almost seemed like that the whole key to that state was that 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 state had the most talent of any state in America, but that they were dividing it up, up amongst three teams. And so it was kind of the three top 10 teams year in, year out. And it's, it's interesting to me that, it, you know, as time has changed and it's like the balance of power has shifted. And, you know, this is probably what it's about is the balance of power has shifted within the SEC. When I first got down there, it seemed to me that it was always like Florida fighting it out with Tennessee to win the East. And the East was essentially the top part of the SEC mm-hmm. to a few years later or 15 years later when Alabama has achieved such utter dominance and Georgia has truly gotten their act together and become a perennial top five team. Mm-hmm. and you know, that is probably really what's hurt those other, those other teams. Um, I, I suppose we could also make some arguments that the consolidation of power and the, the lore of the SEC has probably hurt FSU and it's probably oh, absolutely. hurt Miami in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And looking this last week at college football and seeing Notre Dame, a team that I thought would probably be a playoff contender, barely make it past Toledo a week after barely beating Florida State, who then lost to Jacksonville State. Looking across the ACC, um, weeks one and two, just not a very good showing. Not a very good showing. The conference parity is just not there right now. And and people hate to hear it. I know people hate the SEC. I know people hate hearing that. And I think there are teams that would be competitive in the SEC that aren't in the SEC. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying as a whole, the competition is just so much greater in that conference than any of the neighboring conferences for certain. Who knows with the Pac-12 this year if if Oregon is for real. Um, they just beat Ohio State, which was a very fun game. Um, and I think I kind of think they'll be in the playoff, but who knows? They could go lose to USC and Stanford. We'll see what happens with the Pac-12. But uh, the conference parity is such a such an issue in college football because there's four playoff teams. And they can't all be from the same conference. And it gets controversial if there's two from the same conference. Uh, But then the teams that are left out feel like, well, yeah, but we had to play in like a completely different league that's much more difficult than Notre Dame did or than Clemson did or than Florida State or whoever it may be, Oregon, um, Ohio State. So uh, that's such an issue in college football that at some point it's like, are are they going to resolve that and kind of regulate the strength of schedule for everyone, or is it always going to be apples and oranges as far as comparing two teams? That's a remarkably, a remarkably even-handed approach for an SEC fan, Doug. I got to hand it to you. <laughs> I'm not because, an SEC fan. I, I pull for one team. Well, an SEC loyalist, mm-hmm. perhaps. Because I, I think it's hard to argue with you. You know, and look, there's some funny elements of this. Ohio State losing oddly makes it feel like the sec is more dominant yeah right it, well it's, it's like because ohio, ohio state, state you look at their schedule and the only the only test for them really as far as their talent level the only team even close is oregon and so they lose that game and it's like okay they're zero and one well we've reached this point though where it seems like competition is ohio state in oklahoma on the outside of the sec and whoever the sec uh, champion produces in mm-hmm. a given year which is usually Alabama. i think the other one the other one that kind of 
hurts the non-SEC argument is the this loss of Texas to to Arkansas. Oh yeah, yeah, we didn't even talk right? about that. Yeah, I mean, what a blow, especially for Texas, a team that's wanting to break into the SEC. The optics of that are just not very good. Where all of a sudden people are realizing, or, or I guess they're maybe not realizing, but they're concluding whether it's true or not that this team is a bottom tier SEC team if they're in the SEC. Uh, whereas they can be a top dog in the conference that they're in now. And so that's a tough look uh, for, for a team that's trying to switch conferences. I can't imagine that helps with recruiting. Arkansas, though, heck of a job by Sam Pittman coaching those guys and recruiting and all the rest. Um, they look to be a, a scary team to play for teams like Alabama and Georgia this year. Okay, Doug. So, uh, you know, as we move towards the end of this week, uh, you know, I'll ask you, of course, what's sort of on your radar. What are you looking ahead? One quarterback that we did not discuss who's playing in the Monday night game is Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. Jackson is, is look, he's an incredibly, he's a fascinating player from top to bottom. From the moment he was going into the draft and and fell to the end of the first round to really having a lot of basically MVP level performances. But going into 2021, he appears to be the highest profile quarterback or one of the the highest profile quarterback. I think Kirk Cousins also falls into this camp who is turning down the vaccine at this point. So a little bit of a, you know, a sideshow for Lamar Jackson going into 2021. Uh, But nonetheless, something interesting to watch, you know, None of politics will not leave sports alone. I've no. also read this week that the the Raiders are requiring a vaccine passport for entry to that game. Mm-hmm. And when they made that move, ticket prices on the secondary market apparently plummeted a bit. So so Monday the first Monday night football game of the year and plenty of politics continuing on indefinitely. That's what we need. We need more politics. Um infiltrating sports okay doug so i'll give you last word on this week's episode last word on this week's episode man big college football game i'm looking forward to is auburn playing at penn state i personally think that auburn is for real they haven't played anyone and so their haters um will will constantly point to that and you know i want to believe that because i don't like auburn but I think that's a sleeper team this year. I think Auburn and Ole Miss out of the SEC West, I think both of those are going to be um, pretty tough games for, for anybody that's on their schedule. But you know, looking at Alabama uh, and, and Georgia as the top two teams, or at least perceived as the top two teams in the SEC, I think those two are ones to keep an eye on. Auburn gets their first test against Penn State. It's the game of the week for me, so I'm looking forward to that one. Um, yeah, just looking forward to it. It's great to have football back, man. Uh, college football, NFL fantasy everything's in full swing it's a beautiful time of year a lot of us wait all year for the fall so it's just a good time to take it in and enjoy america's new pastime not america's past pastime and america's news pastime is football i'm absolutely in full agreement with you doug um so for everyone out there thanks for listening and always more content at www.fandomanalytics.com